Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. show of april 2022 as we turn the page on a new month my guest is coming up in just a moment but first i want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by new works plumbing of sacramento locally owned for over 20 years new works has a fix for you just go to newworksplumbing.com that's n-e-w-w-r-x plumbing.com and remember if you happen to have an emergency in the middle of the night no problem they will be there with their 24-7 service. Leak detection, water line repair, plumbing repair, bathroom plumbing. New Works has a fix for you. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. My guest today actually was an intern of mine back when I was at Channel 31 when he was at Sacramento State. He has been a fixture in Bay Area Sports Talk Radio for nearly 25 years. He now has his own thing that he's doing. We're going to get into that as well. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast Larry Kruger. Larry, how are you? Grant, I'm doing great. How are you? You know, I am doing good. You know, it's I always love getting back and thinking about what it was like when you were growing up as a child. Do you remember around what age of your life it was when you thought about sports broadcasting? Wow. Um, I would say <clears throat> probably when I, you know, my mom used to say when I was a little kid that like, you know, seven, eight, I would take the baseball cards and I would put them on a baseball on the carpet and like a baseball pattern and start announcing the game. <laughs> I don't remember doing that, but it was probably like, you know, six or seven years old. Um, I started kind of moving the players around the, the baseball diamond and, and, trying to be like an announcer. So probably as early as seven, you know, six or seven. Is baseball your first love or is it football, basketball? How would you rank the sports that mean the most to you? Well, you know, I would say baseball was my dad's first love for sure. He, he loved baseball and he, he loved boxing and baseball. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I would say baseball. And then, you know, football, as time got on, as time went on, became a, a favorite as well, you know, when you get to like seventh, eighth grade. You know, Larry, I was blessed to grow up on Long Island. And when I was growing up, Marv Albert was the voice of the Knicks and the Rangers. And it was because of him and listening to him on the radio that I decided to pursue the career that I had. Who were your favorites that you grew up listening to? 
definitely Lon Simmons and Hank Greenwald. Um, you know, Lon was just had these incredible pipes and this great excitement for the game. And, you know, Hank Greenwald had this dry sense of humor and was a great storyteller. And those two guys just on the radio made me, you know, really love listening to the Giants or the, or the Niners back then. You know, I'm curious, when you grew up as a fan of the Giants or the Niners, which means you didn't grow up as a fan of the A's and the Raiders, they had one of the legendary announcers in the history of sports broadcasting and Bill King. Did you not listen to him that much? You know what, Bill King was, uh, was a warrior, was the Warriors announcer. So I listened to him doing the Warriors, and mm. I thought he was incredible. Um, in fact that, you know, Bill King, and then actually that was one of my great thrills is that when I first got onto, um, radio at KMBR, you know, I'd go over and, and tape some stuff with the A's players and I'd, I'd go over and sit in the dugout and Bill King came up to me one day and he's like, he's like, I recognize your voice. You're Larry Kruger. <laughs> I said, <laughs> How about that? What? And then he's like, he's like, yeah, I listen to you at night. I really enjoy you. And wow. I remember thinking to myself, wow. And then um, people, you know, Bill then sat down with me and we did like an hour. And I don't know what happened to that damn hour because I haven't been able to find yeah. it. But, yeah, I mean, Bill was a sweetheart of a guy. Isn't that an amazing experience in this business? We, we grow up as sports fans. We idolize so many of the people that we watch. And then if we ever get a chance to meet them and they actually make a compliment towards you. Marv Albert did the same thing to me. He obviously knew who I was when I was doing the NBA early in my career, and I almost fainted. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's just an amazing experience, isn't it, when that happens? Oh, and it happened to me one other time. I, when I when I was start, starting at KMBR, I was filling in for Gary Radnich, and Pete Franklin was getting ready in the bullpen to come on, and he walked in at a commercial and was like, kid, you're sounding great. I just want to come in and introduce myself. And, hey, you're sounding great, kid. And um, and I'm like, wow. Because, I mean, that was a big thing for me because Pete, Pete was a guy that I listened to a lot before, uh, you know, I came to KMBR. I used to love going on the show when you invited me, uh, when you worked with Gary Radnich in the afternoons. I got That was truly of all the shows that I got invited to do, whenever your producer would call me to go on with you and Gary, I just loved those segments. I thought they were great. Well, you know, Gary, you know, Gary's one of those guys. It's like, you know, when I would say, Hey, let's, let's have Grant on. He'd be like, Oh yeah, I love that guy. You know, he, he really <laughs> fires. And I was Gary saying, he really fires. He goes, yeah. He brings good energy. Uh, you know, so yeah, Gary, we did have a lot of fun in those segments because Gary, Gary likes real people. He doesn't like programmed answers and no passion and no emotion, right. no energy. So you were, you know, you were a perfect guest for his show. What do you remember the most about doing an internship at Channel 31 when you were at Sac State? Well, you know, I, I remember a lot of it. I remember um, that there were like CNN feeds that would, that would have the highlights and that you know, looking at like Nick Charles and uh, was it Fred Hickman, I yep, believe. Yep, Nick and Fred. Um, yep. Yeah, and and just watching their stuff, and I I remember um, you know going to the games and and you know gathering, just seeing how how much went into a broadcast, you know, and it it, it wasn't ultimately the field that I chose, but it was an eye opener to kind of see that 
you know, all the things that have to go on behind the scenes hours before, you know, the news to make the thing seem seamless and perfect. Um, and it was just, it was a real eye opener. It was an education on, on TV, uh, broadcasting and, you know, where it was. And I just had so much fun doing it. Larry, what was your first big break in the business? I would, Grant, I would actually say probably working for you. Wow. I mean, uh, you know, so what happened was my, I, I got through a couple of years of college and my dad, and I told my dad, I said, I really don't know what I want to do. And he's like, well, do internships. Why don't you do an internship for a semester? And so I went and talked to the people at Sac State and they're like, yeah, do internships. And there's a program and this and that. Um, and so I did two internships, one working for Bud Ferrillo as his producer in the morning and then one working for you. And I think the one that I got with you came first. Um, and, and that was probably my first break because at that point, all I really had on my resume was that I'd played uh, lacrosse in college and that I, you know, interested in sports in high school and played sports in high school, but I really didn't have any media experience. So I'd have to say, you know, channel 31 was my first resume, you know, building type experience. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we kind of had a little of a bit of a bond because of your lacrosse background. And Sac State was just beginning to play. And I've been playing since I had been in second grade. And I remember I was on a club team in Sacramento. And I, I don't say this in a condescending way, but we all had played lacrosse, most of us, for many years. And when we would play the UC Davises and the Sac State, they would be just blowouts. And we would actually at times help the players on the other team with some of the nuances of the game. You know, that was, I'll never forget playing those type of games. I actually enjoyed that. I enjoyed kind of helping and coaching the game a little bit because again, as you know, there were so many people on your team that were probably, you know, just picking up the sport. Well, you know, it's funny. So I, I played at St. Ignatius in San Francisco and we had a hall of fame, uh, you know, a, a guy who was in the lacrosse hall of fame of Stockton Buck was uh, he played at Hobart mm -hmm. was our coach right and he um, he was a tremendous tremendous coach and he built our high school program from kind of a a new program to a, a champion I mean they were we were incredible in a couple of years and I remember thinking man we're really taking this seriously and we you know we and then I went to college and it was it was very much like a club team. And yep. People were just coming out, drinking beer, and, <laughs> and just yep. kind of, you know, they were just it, right. it, they were just learning the game. They, you know, there was they they had no idea. Everybody wanted to hit everybody. Nobody had any skill. Um, and and but I really loved it just from the standpoint of it was fun. It was it was loose. And then I remember you mentioned when I came in, you're like, hey, I play lacrosse. And, and that was the thing that yep. kind of jumped out to you on my resume. And then we, a couple of times, just, you know, you were, you were doing the nighttime thing and the Kings thing. And so you would have some afternoons and I can remember getting together a couple of times on campus, just yep. throwing a little cross ball around. So yeah, it, it is funny how, uh, you know, what will stand out to you. Cause I almost didn't have lacrosse on my resume. Cause I thought, ah, well, why does anybody <laughs> care? If I play that That's game? great. That's great, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was it, it, and it's and it was it was a great experience playing because you met a lot of people who um, it was a real community. You know, I, and I, I remember playing a, a club team when I was at Sac State, and I'm like, man, this guy opposite me is just killing me. He's just <laughs> killing me. The game the game ends. We take off our helmets. We go to shake hands, 
The guy's like 65 years old. <laughs> That's great. Hey, you know what? I'm going to share a quick story with you. The last game I ever played was in a summer league, all right? I was 50 years old, and I'm playing against college kids in this summer league. And my wife and my two boys are at the game watching, and I'm playing attack. And we line up to start the game, and the refs are talking to us, blah, blah, blah. And then we go to the restraining line. And the defenseman that is covering me goes, how are you, Mr. Napier? And I kind of chuckle and I'm going, no, really. And, I'm, and I, I go, I'm good. How are you? He goes, good. Well, long story short, I scored five goals that game. But at the end of the game, we were playing on AstroTurf. My, my, both my legs were completely cut and scraped. Um, I only wore elbow pads and the gloves. I didn't wear shoulder pads or anything like that. And I'm, I'll never forget this, Larry. I had five goals. I could barely walk to the car. And I get in the car. And my wife goes, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay, but you just watched the last game that I'm ever going to play. And that was the last game that I ever played. I thought, you know what? If somebody that's guarding me says, how are you, Mr. Napier? And I, had a, and, and I could barely walk to the car after the game. I thought, you know what, Larry? It's time to hang it up. That was the last time I ever played. How about that? <laughs> well, it's funny. It's, uh, you know, and some of the older guys would wind up playing, like, defense, you know, because they didn't right. have to move as much. <laughs> right. but, yeah. Or goalie, sometimes goalie. But yeah, it was it would it would always it always uh, hit me too that these guys were all like you know stockbrokers and yep. and financial analysts and hedge fund managers and I mean it was like it was uh, <laughs> yeah it was a unique group let's just say of of uh, of players it was it was not your typical pickup game. Larry, you probably were living a dream. You know, growing up in in that area, being such a big fan of the Giants and the 49ers, and then, boom, you're covering all of those teams on Sports Talk Radio, and then, boom, it all comes crashing down because of comments you made about Felipe Alou in 2005. Would would it be safe to say that was rock bottom for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, just, you know, just, uh, you know, it basically, you know, made me freeze as a person, uh, just you know, I've never really been frozen like that, but I just didn't even know how to react. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny. It's like he, he, those words were taken in one manner. It was an inelegant phrase, but it it really was more Mitra's trying to make a statement about, you know, kind of a reference to you don't, you can't walk off the Island, which is an old scouting axiom meaning that, if a player was going to be, you know, scouted by a major league team, that they would have to demonstrate skills, and so they were more apt to swing and and try to be more aggressive. And you know, I'm making a reference to that, and it's it came out totally wrong. And it's just, you know, I understood when people put it in print how it looked bad, and that's why I apologized for it. But yeah, that was absolutely a, a rock bottom, and and. And, you know, it's like it was a very difficult, you know, five-year period after that, just trying to figure out, you know, where I was, where I was going, what had happened, what, you know, what really was the impact on me, what, you know, I was going to do next. Um, And I just, I just, you know, you found out a lot about who you are. You found out a lot about who your best friends really were and who wasn't really a friend and uh, it was almost like dying almost and and then but still being alive and hearing people talk about you um, but yeah i mean it was it was a it was a, a tough period of my life for sure 
Um, and only because I have a really strong faith and family did I, did I get through that. Um, I, I never thought I'd have another opportunity to, to do uh, sports radio again. And sure enough, you know, within you know six years later that I got that opportunity again. So just, uh, you know, I, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, I did approach Felipe and we did talk about, you know, initially. And then of course, eventually, you know, we talked about it afterwards. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a very difficult time. It was a really difficult time. I thought I felt like I brought shame on my, on my family's name. And it was very difficult for me to face up my parents and, and they were so loving and supportive that I just made it even that much more difficult. But, um, you know, it was, and then, and then in the next four or five years, it became very difficult as I was trying to figure out, am I, am I a radio guy on the sidelines or am I, you know, not embracing my new direction and new career and that kind you know, so it's, so it was very, it was challenging on a lot of fronts, for sure. Felipe Alou, during that time, that week, subsequently days after, was on record as saying he did not accept your apology. Did that ever change? You said you went out, you, you reached out to him and you met. Did that ever get patched up? Yeah, yeah. The next year, I mean, I got, you know, so that happened in the summer. Um, by, you know, two months later, I was working at KGO. So now we're in the baseball off season. Now fast forward to, I guess, February or March and they're getting ready to go to spring training and they had like a little media gathering at the ballpark. And I went and I remember walking in and everybody just had these eyeballs, you know, huge eyeballs, like, Oh my God, look at this. Um, and Felipe was sitting there and, uh, Jim Moorhead said, Felipe wants to talk to you. So I said, okay, great. Let's do it. So I walked over and I said, hey, Felipe, how you doing? You know, Larry Kruger, <clears throat> you know, I had apologized to him before, but he kind of, st- he stormed off, didn't listen to my apology. I said, I'm going to apologize again to you. Um, and he, we shook hands and he said, hey, his comment at the time was, it's a new year. Um, that didn't make me feel <laughs> any better about, about the situation, but you know, it was good to at least have some face-to-face closure with the man. You said something a moment ago that really resonated with me. When you go through something like both you and I have gone gone through and I'm currently going through, you really do understand and find out who your real friends in life are. And for that, really, I'm grateful, and I mean that. I am too. I am too because, um, you know, it made me – Never put anything before my family because your family is always going to be there for you. And mine was there for me. And I had a young family. I had young kids. I mean, my kids were so young, Grant, that they were unaware of what was going on. Mm. So in some ways, that was a gift, you know, the fact that they were totally unaffected by the whole thing. Um, It wasn't like they were teenagers and understood they were far younger. So. You know, uh, but yeah, you find out, you know, you find out about yourself, but you also find out about like how many people in your world change when the, when everybody's now rooting against you or you're persona non grata and in certain circles and you realize how many people, you know, have changed. There were people that were very close to me who totally treated me differently and I just, 
I just basically X them out mm-hmm. because those same people tried to get back into my life when I got back on the radio and I just laughed. I said, you know, you know, I know what you're about. And then there are other people who were friends of mine who never flinched, never, never um, changed their opinion. I could tell just by the way they talked to me, the way they reached out, um, how they, you know, how our dialogue went. And those relationships grew that much stronger. So it was almost like, you know, are you in or are you out on me? And and not everybody has that moment in life. A lot of times people mm-hmm. just, we don't know if people are in or out on us. We just kind of go do our thing and, and, you know, who knows? But this was a moment in history where I actually could, I actually kind of knew who was with me and who wasn't with me. And it was it was uh, painful to see the people that weren't with me and it was frustrating, but it was, it was, it showed me that the rarest trait in, in people is courage. Mm-hmm. You know, very few people have courage and, uh, and, and then, you know, I understood it. I, I, then I understood it more, you know, when you went through your thing is I, I understood it even more because I, I myself felt like I didn't do enough to stand up and say, what the hell you're running this guy out for that? My God. And, and it's like in a moment where I was frustrated with other people in 05 about the lack of courage they showed, you know, it, it bothered me. And I've, we, you and I talked about this um, on my show a few weeks ago, just, you know, it still bothers me that, you know, I'm a, I feel like I'm a person that shows courage at almost every turn. And in that situation, I really didn't show the level of courage that I should have, and I should have I should have pushed back harder. Um, but you know, I, it's 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 tough when when you know when you're live when you feel like your livelihood potentially is on the line when mm-hmm. you feel like your ability to to provide for your family is potentially you know in the you know in the balance. You people oftentimes do what's best for them. Correct. And it's human nature, but it's it's an ugly side of human nature, in my opinion. And, but, I, and, I, and, I, and I apologize to you for it because I do feel like, you know, <clears throat> I feel like we are good friends. And I saw that whole thing coming up, um, coming down, and I spoke out about it. But when I got pushed back, um, you know, I, I, I basically went into a shell and just said, you know what, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say anything more because fear of, of retribution towards me. And, and, and then also I kind of felt like, Hey, you know what? <clears throat> Maybe I'm the last person that Grant needs to support him right now because, you know, the nature of things and what I had gone through and I, you know, I don't, I don't want anybody to be like, well, of course you're supporting him. You know, it's like, no, you don't, you don't, you have no idea what kind of relationship I have with Grant Napier. You have no idea what level of friends we are. It goes so far beyond Felipe Alou or comments or anything like that. So it's just, it's, um, you know, I, it's, it's, uh, it was, it, obviously it's, it's impacted me greatly what happened to me, but also what happened to you. So I, you know, and I, 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 I just feel like more, I, I at least contributed with a really inelegant phrase and maybe a cavalier attitude. I, I viewed your situation as as totally different, and I, I feel even worse. I feel like you got railroaded. Well, I really appreciate you saying that. You know, when I reflect back on May thirty first, twenty twenty, and subsequently losing my career as I knew it, forty eight hours later, uh, I believe our country was going through a period of time that I had never experienced uh, in my life. 
uh, on the heels of the George Floyd murder and the looting and the rioting uh, going on in this country. And I think very often the intent of what people say, it can be completely misconstrued. And my intent was when I said all lives matter, every single one, First of all, that's what I believe in. That's how I was raised. My father was a civil rights activist. We we were constantly being told about equality. We were constantly raised that way. And when I made that comment, it was, hey, let's all come together finally. Let's put everything aside. We need to come together as a society. But what I learned through that experience and listening to you really resonated with me. I had hundreds and hundreds of people reach out to me. You were one of them. I had so many people reach out to me via text. I had many people call me and they said, I feel so bad for what happened to you. You didn't do anything wrong. And then they would say, and these were a lot of public figures, a lot of announcers that if I mentioned their names, everyone would go, oh my gosh. But they would say, I can't say anything. And I would say, I understand. I under, and I did, Larry. I said, I get it. I understand. Because our country during that period of time was in such turmoil. There was so much venom. And we all were, if I can use the word targets, for being labeled, stereotyped, and oh yeah, by the way, canceled. And as you said, you have a family you have to support. And that, that's, that's the narrative that I heard from so many people in our business. And you know what, Larry? When you reflect back on that, that is so sad. Because as MLK once said, Our lives begin to end the day we remain silent about things that matter. And so many people reached out to me privately, but publicly they felt they were handcuffed. They felt that they could not say anything publicly to support me for fear of retribution. And that's really sad in this country. I mean, as somebody who was doing a radio show at that time, um, you know, I did reach out. I did basically say, Hey, look, I know this guy and I understand the, the, the sensitivities and the, the, uh, plight of others. I I'm, and I'm, I understand this and that, but just because the, um, just cause the cause is just doesn't mean that throwing somebody under the bus for, you know, interpretation of a statement, and also, you know, is, is I, I, to me, it's like, I, I like to judge people, you know, I mean, we all should, you, you have to own every moment, but at the same time, I mean, we should not be judged at our, at our, you know, weakest moment or at our moment of frailty. It's like, um, and, and I looked at that situation as what about the, what about the body of work this man has, has gone through? I mean, you know, as somebody who had worked for you and seen you operate in, you know, professional settings, seen you operate at golf tournaments, see you operate at the arena, see you around the players, see you around, uh, you know, the PR staff, mm-hmm. seeing you at the arena. I mean, I just, you know, I just knew that the, the, the basic claim was just so erroneous and so false that it, it, it bothered me. And I did stand up and say, Hey, look, this is not the guy that I know, but immediately it was anybody who was going to the support um, of you at that time was suddenly in the crosshairs as far as the text line and the calls and sometimes even the reaction from the other hosts. Yeah. So, um, you know, and it's, and when I was met with that, criticism and that that you know those people basically saying oh well of course you would 
it's like you know instead of fighting it fighting back vociferously and you know saying hey look you know you, i know this guy you don't you know i've spent time around this guy you haven't right yep um it it, it it's you know i i didn't fight it as much as i should and um and i you know i i was always hopeful that things would turn turn out you know good for you but at the same time um you know i i, I only we talked about it for days i should have probably been on some kind of pilgrimage on the radio to to uh, you know to basically argue your point and argue your side but i just, i didn't and i you know and we I've, I've apologized to you about it and i just don't i personally i knew that that wasn't that you were not the person that they were that they were describing and i'd seen you with people people of all ages all races all colors all you know i've never seen you ever ever have a have anything that i thought was even a questionable comment or attitude towards anything in any setting so it just was it was upsetting it was really upsetting and i'm i hope that you you know i i, I just hope that you have the proper perspective i mean you had an incredible run but it should be going on to this day and um and you know you built this incredible career, but it's such a unique career that it's not the kind of thing that's necessarily transferable to like another team, another market in a in an instant. You know, I do believe in your talent as far as a broadcaster, and I know that you'll have opportunities, but it's not ever going to be the same. And you know it, and I know it. So it's just it's uh it's fr- it's I'm sure it's beyond frustrating. It's life altering for you. It's been a huge upheaval, I would imagine. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel for you and I, and I hope that, you know, you get through this and, and get to a part in your life where you get to do what you love to do, what you're great at doing and, and be compensated very well and, and get to a, a better spot. You know, that's, that's my only hope. I do, I do think that you are one of the best NBA announcers for decades. And, and I, just, I wish that your body of work um, would have been factored in a little bit more before these companies basically ran and hid. Well, I really appreciate all of those comments. And I've told you on your YouTube channel that you don't have to apologize, but I do appreciate that. And I get that. And, you know, when I, I look at you and what happened to you back in 2005, and you were able to resurrect your career and get back on the horse. And that leads me to where I want to go next. I was shocked, absolutely shocked when I read that you were out of KMBR, but you didn't wait long and you have started up your own entity on your YouTube live channel. Give me just an idea of what that period of time was, finding out, wow, I'm not a KMBR anymore. But Larry, it almost seemed like it was overnight. You didn't even like dwell on it. You were, boom, you were doing your next thing. Well, you know, it's because I had been wanting, I've been trying to encourage the program director at KMBR to, to go and put the whole thing on YouTube Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, and the only reason for it, it's not that I'm some YouTube crazed person. It's just that I have four kids and my kids are 22, 20, 15 and 12. And my, you know, my, my younger kids, um, you know, consume a lot of YouTube and they, you know, and I'm looking at the consumption patterns of uh, the younger part of the demographic when it comes to sports. And it's, they're not, they don't even, they're not into cable TV. I mean, that, most people um, in their 20s aren't even, they would never even look to buy cable TV. Um, they would never pay for it. So cable TV is, is, is dying. 
radio is a product only of cars. You know, people listen to the radio. If you said, if I made people listen to their radio in their house, they, most people don't even have a radio. (laughs) Right. That's very true. Um, They would go to their phone and go to the app. So everything's going digital. The, the, um, you know, our phones now are, 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 our cars pair to our phones. Our phones pair to the car, I should say. <laughs> right. So, so now your phone is the central, the central figure in your entertainment, in your media consumption. And so, once you, once I saw that, and then I read all the articles that I'm sure you read as well about how you know battery cars are going to be a huge influx going forward, and and that their AM radio is not going to be part of battery cars. Well, it was pretty obvious to me that the digital platform was where the media game is going. So I've been talking to, you know, people who have been like digital experts and uh, YouTube experts for for two, three years before I ever left KMBR about, you know, starting up my own YouTube channel. And I just never did it. I talked about it. I had knew all the steps and knew all the things I wanted to do. So as soon as um, KMBR cut me in, in the budget situation. I just said, you know what, I'm I'm not gonna, I'm going to give myself a week to just kind of you know purchase all the equipment and get everything dialed in, set up. <clears throat> but a week from now, I'm going to go live and I'm going to do my radio show and I'm going to do it on YouTube. And um, so far, so good. I mean, we've only been doing it for a month. I've been approached to sell my channel to different corporate entities. I'm talking to a number of different people that have, that want to partner with us. We have sponsors. We have 4,000 um, subscribers. We have we've monetized on YouTube, and it's just it's a whole new world. And I'm learning more about it every single day. But um, it's the same thing. It's ultimately the same thing. It's like, can, do you have sports opinions? Do you have content? You know, what we are right now, you and me and others like us, we have become, we've gone from broadcasters to true content creators. And now it's just, and there's always a need for more content. Um, And that's, Hmm. and that's why I I, I think YouTube, there's a whole lot, YouTube's big now, it's a lot bigger than it used to be. It's going to be, there's going to be a ton of different people coming into this space in the next five to 10 years because this is where the audience is migrated to. And if you don't go, you know, if you, it's the old adapter die. And if you don't go to where the audience is, you lose relevancy. And um, so to me, I look at the cum, the total cum. When I say that, that's a kind of a radio term, but how many people are in their cars, um, you know, going to work? And well, that number in Northern California has dropped dramatically, even post pandemic, if we can, consider work consider that as a term post pandemic some people would say we're not there yet but um you know there's a lot less people commuting and so the cum the number of people listening to any 15 minutes of radio has dropped dramatically Mm -hmm. and so they're all battling it out right now for this shrinking pie well while over on youtube it's a growing pie and so there's more and more people coming to it. And I, I see greater and greater traction with every show that I do. Larry, so it's, yeah. it's a really, it's a different deal. You got to be visual. I've got to be more conscious of everything from what shirt am I going to wear to, you know, 
how does my, uh, you know, did I shave? Did I not? <laughs> you know, my, right. I, I, may, I may spend right. a little bit more time on the treadmill or about out laying out by the pool. But you know what? <laughs> right. uh, but it, it, so it's different from that standpoint. But you adjust. And uh, what I found is that people still really want the content. I don't think there's any question. They want Larry Kruger, and so you have great content plus your personality, uh, and it's a win-win. I can't thank you enough for reminiscing. This was a phenomenal segment, and I've had a lot of fun just doing a couple shows with you over the last couple of weeks, and I really hope we can continue uh, Absolutely. it's amazing how our careers have gone and now here we are and maybe we'll be doing something maybe we won't but the point is you know the friendship stays no matter what you do no matter what I do the respect that I have for you never leaves and so for that uh, I wish you nothing but the best and thank you so much for coming on the show Grant I, you know we're, we're friends for life and anything you need you just you say it and I'm there for you and and uh, best of luck to you I know you know there's some people I hope I'll say hey, hey I hope you have great success I know you're going to have great success. And if we ever can work together, man, that would be a dream. But, uh, but man, keep fighting the good fight and um, keep coming on the Krug Show. And anytime you want me on your show, I'm there for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, I just love that segment with Larry. That was outstanding. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It's time for Grant. All right. How about grades already coming out from yesterday's first round of the NFL draft? Just for fun. I went back and looked at the draft in 2018, Baker Mayfield, Saquon Barkley, Sam Darnold, and you know that most of the people that graded that draft gave those teams A's? That's right. There was, I saw, one grade from USA Today that gave the Cleveland Browns a C+. Everyone else gave the Cleveland Browns an A or a B+. Almost all of the grades for Sam Darnold and the New York Jets were A's. Baker is a backup quarterback. Barkley has been a big-time failure in New York. And Sam Darnold isn't even in New York anymore. 
He's trying to be the guy in Carolina. And, of course, it wasn't too long ago that the Panthers were throwing the bank and their draft picks and everything else to try to acquire Deshaun Watson. And as we know, he went to Cleveland. So what does that tell you about draft grades? That they are absolutely worthless. So I don't want to know about what your favorite team received in terms of a letter grade from SI or CBS Sports or NFL.com or Bleacher Report because I don't give a damn. You know why? Because it doesn't mean squat. And generally, they're wrong anyway. Let me know in three or four years. All right? Then we can objectively evaluate a draft. But until then, zip it. I don't want to hear about it. And that is my rant for today. And that is my podcast for today. Really had a fabulous conversation with Larry Kruger. I hope that you have a tremendous weekend. And we'll be back here Tuesday with another episode, if you don't like that, with Grant Napier. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.